It's called log rolling, which is when we trade across interests that we want. Everybody thinks that compromise is the way to get what you want in a negotiation. And sometimes that's true. But just as often, what's important is giving you everything you want so that you'll give me everything I want on a different issue. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Hi, this is Kathleen Kingsbury, and I am here today with Julian Portia. He is the Associate Professor and Director of Mediation and Dialogue Center at Champlain College. Uh, Julian and I recently met, and I was really interested in his work and wanted to bring it to my listeners. Uh, Quick background, he was born in Mexico City, now lives in Richmond, Vermont, which if you are not from the Vermont area, is not that far away from Burlington. He lives with his wife and three kids and has, uh, in addition to all the other stuff he does at Champlain, has an active mediation and facilitation practice. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kathleen. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation because we have spent most of the Breaking Money Silence on Negotiation series talking about negotiation that's one-on-one, right? So me with maybe a buyer or um, we even talked about a middleman. So there were two people, but somebody was in the middle. Mm -hmm. And for you, you really do what I would call kind of large group negotiations or conversations. So Tell the listeners a little bit about your work, and then we'll delve into some of the strategies that you think would be useful for us to know about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. I do large group consensus building on complicated, complex issues. Um, So as you said, I was born in Mexico and I still work in Mexico in fisheries. And so um, I facilitate a group there um, that consists of fishers, fishers, members of the supply chain from producers all the way to retailers, a lot of NGOs, academics, experts, and government officials. And fisheries is, is an interesting business because it is um, the way that the economics of fisheries are set up. It's sort of set up so that everybody will fish out the last fish. It's kind of a race to the bottom. Uh, and everybody knows it, but because it's a collective endeavor, it's very hard to, for one individual to change it. And so our idea is to bring all the stakeholders together and see if there are things that they can do collectively. And there's a lot of things and there's a lot of great work that's being done, but it's not always in um, in the same room and it's not always with people knowing you know, what the right hand and the left hand are doing. So 
I do that in Mexico and I, uh, I work with groups in Haiti who are negotiating with the government over compensation over land. And I work locally in a school district here with a group of students who is trying to uh, create some advocacy around um, what law enforcement looks like in the school. Um, that involves parents and teachers and stuff. So all kinds of stuff. But, but yes, always groups. Always groups. And I have to tell you, when I think about that many people trying to consensus build, for me, it's overwhelming. Obviously, for you, it's a passion and you're really good at it. <laughs> how did you get into this? Just quickly, how did you get into this? And and it sounds like, you know, you like with working with all these moving parts and the complexity. I do. It's never boring, Kathleen. It's always, always fascinating. And, and you do have to have a, a high tolerance for frustration because, you know, if it's tough negotiating with your boss or your or your uh, business partner or your colleague or your coworker, or whatever, it's extremely hard for people to do that in groups. And then if you factor in all kinds of public visibility stuff and politics, it gets really tricky. I got into it after grad school. I, I did a master's degree in conflict analysis and resolution at George Mason University. And then I met a woman from Argentina who had this center called uh, Fundación Cambio Democrático, which is the, the Foundation for Democratic Change. And it was a consensus building uh, shop, uh, nonprofit, and there are similar shops all over the world, um, in Mexico and in all over Eastern Europe and all over Latin America and the Middle East now. And I got a job with her and I started working over land disputes um, in which the local municipality and the church and land occupants, peasants were involved. It was kind of a quasi-revolutionary thing. And we got in the middle of that and, and I never looked back. I moved to Mexico after that, where, as you mentioned, I was born and I worked there for a few years. And then we came to Vermont. Excellent. And so, you know, I imagine also with the complexity, it must be incredibly rewarding when you're on the other side of things. Uh, in yeah. fact, when we had our pre-interview, you shared a couple of things with me that were, were new to me. Uh, and one was a story around working with the fisheries um, that I'm going to have you tell in a minute. But before that, during that conversation, you mentioned something about frogs and bats. Yeah. And, you know, I thought he can't be talking about real frogs and real bats. <laughs> so help us understand what you mean by that, what those terms mean. And yeah. then maybe, you know, you can share how that fit with the story we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I find about working with groups is that it is helpful to lay down some common concepts and to lay down some language around negotiation. So you do a lot of negotiation one-on-one -on -one stuff, and of course you can do sort of small incremental conversations about how you want to negotiate. And you can also do that in groups. Um, and basically the idea is to tell, uh, to have a conversation with people about how they want to negotiate. It's kind of a meta conversation. You know, how do we want to manage this? Who, who do we want to be in this? And then I often share some things that are helpful in negotiation. You know, try to try to understand what the other party wants. Try to understand before you're, you, you make yourself understood. Um, try to find the common interests behind what you might be uh, proposing at, at the first, you know, so looking for interests behind positions and basically all the stuff that you would find in getting to yes uh, and all the kind of harbor negotiation project stuff that I'm sure you've covered a lot. Um, and talked with people over the years. And I find that if we do that in a group setting, it can be helpful, but we don't have a lot of time and we don't have, it's not a class. So, um, you know, I can't be too didactic about it. 
So I had people play this little game called Frogs and Bats. And Frogs and Bats is a metaphor. I didn't invent it. My friend um, Francisco did down in Argentina when he was working with Peruvian indigenous groups in the Amazon who were negotiating oil rights with the Peruvian government back then when oil was found in their territories. And basically the Frogs and Bats game replicates what's called the prisoner's dilemma. A prisoner's dilemma is something that we all face a lot um, in, in our businesses and in our negotiations. And it has to do with deciding whether or not you collaborate uh, with someone on the other side or you defect and go the individual route and try to get a little more for yourself. It's based on a story of two outlaws, let's say, who are captured by the police and they're in separate interrogation rooms and the police say, okay, if you rat your buddy out, you can get off scot-free. But if you you don't say anything, you're going to be in here for a little while. And they say the same thing to the other prisoner. And it turns out that if they both rat each other out, then they get a long sentence because they will have pointed the finger at one another and they, they get stuck in prison for a long time. If neither of them say anything, they still get stuck in prison, but for less time because there's no evidence against them because they are their mutual witnesses to put one another uh, away for longer times. And if one of them says something and the other doesn't say anything, then the one who rats the other one out go, walks away scot-free and the one who gets ratted out but didn't say anything has to stay in jail. So you can see that the incentives are kind of aligned to rat the other one out. But the trick is, if they both rat each other out, then they both get stuck in jail. Right, right. The the question is, how do you get people to not rat each other out? That's a prisoner's dilemma scenario, but but it applies in real life when you are trying to collaborate with people who have different interests. And so the incentives to collaborate are important and they're worth something, but the incentives to go and make it on your own could also be greater. But then if everyone goes at it on their own, then, then, then they lose the opportunity to gain what they get and make it less on their own because everyone has that same incentive. So for example, if you're negotiating with the government about something and you're on the environmental conservation side, um, versus somebody who's a producer and you're on the ag side, right? And you want to, let's say, extract fish versus conserve fish. Then if, uh, if everybody goes and runs to the government and tells their own little story, then the government gets frustrated and says, ah, I can't deal with you people. I'm going to make my ruling on my own. But if they go together and figure out ways to collaborate and come up with a common proposal on both the conservation and the extractive side to the government, then the government's like, okay, yeah, this is great. I can work with this. And so neither gets 100% of what they want, but they get more than they would have gotten if they'd gone individually to the government in that case. And, and the way, so that, that's the concept. And then the game is basically you and I each have two cards uh, and, and it's a lot of fun because I make people make these drawings of a frog and a bat. Right? So you make them do them themselves? Exactly. We do it I live. love this. Yeah, yep. yeah. And yep. so you, you have your frog and bat card and I have my frog and bat card. And um, I don't know what you're going to play and you don't know what I'm going to play. And we can't talk about it. That's one of the rules. You can't talk. You can only express yourself through the playing of these cards. And I write the payoff matrix, which is, you know, the points that you get for playing uh, frog, frog, which is two, two frog, bat, the bat eats the frog. Um, and so the bat gets three and the frog gets zero. Bro. Yeah. Or bat, bat, uh, they just fly away blind and they each get one point. Right. So you can see where the incentives are to defect, meaning I'll play my bat and hope that you play the frog. So I walk away with three juicy points. But the other player's incentive is the same. And so if we both play bats, we only get one point. If we both play frogs, we get two points. So you can see people playing in a room. And typically what happens is you will get a lot of people 
playing bat bat because it's conservative and and I defend myself and I at least get a point every turn. Right. Yep. You see a lot of people sort of mixing back and forth and they're kind of trying to get some messages across, but then they get betrayed by the other. And so there's frogs and bats mixed in through the whole thing. And then there's usually like a small sliver, maybe 10% of, a, of, of pairs in a group that will play all frogs because they got it right away. They see what's going to happen. And so you add up the points over time and you see that the collaborators get massive points. You see that the people who are in the middle trying to struggle with their messages about frogs and bats and trying to, trying to take advantage of one another every now and then, they got sort of middling points. And then there's often a group, uh, there's, there's, there's always one or two people who, who will insist on playing frogs, even though the other people are playing bats, because they say, I just wanted you to collaborate with me. Aren't you getting the message? Right. And, uh, and what I always say is the message that you send is not necessarily the message that is received. And so the, what is the message being received by the person who's throwing bats to your frogs? Hey, free frogs! I can do this all day. Is what they're is what they're getting. That's <laughs> yeah, the message exactly. Getting, you know what I mean? So then there's some simple rules um, that came that come out of that for negotiation, and and these are all codified by a guy named Robert Axelrod, who wrote this book called The Evolution of Cooperation, who basically says evolution has this very competitive narrative, and it's true. It, it's it, you know survival of the fittest, but that's only part of the narrative. The other part is the way that species collaborate and not just within species, but between species to survive and grow. And that half of evolution has not been told and, and, and we sort of lose that portion of it. And so this frogs and bats is a way to kind of rescue that. And basically the rules are be good. In other words, don't start with a bat because if, if the message you want to send with a bat is I'm being conservative and I'm just protecting my interest, the message received is you're trying to take advantage of me by eating my frog. And so therefore, what am I going to do? I'm going to play a bat, right? So the message is be good, but not too good because remember that exploitation scenario where you kept throwing bats and I kept throwing frogs and you kept eating my frogs. That means I have to punish uh, bad behavior. So I have to react accordingly. But the trick is once we're, we've reacted to one another, we're in bat mode, how do we get out of there? And so the next rule is forgive easily and try to get back to a frog mode, You know, even if you feel slighted. The next rule is be simple, be very clear. People think um, they're being clever by keeping their cards close to their chest and being unpredictable. Well, in the face of unpredictability, what are you going to do? You're going to play conservatively yourself. And so the opportunity to collaborate and to grow the pie, right, to get more, to get more for everybody gets, gets limited. And so the idea there is to um, be very simple and clear. You collaborate and I'll collaborate. I'm going to start collaborating. And if you collaborate with me, I will continue to collaborate with you. Um, and, the, and the last rule is don't be envious of what the other person is getting. Just worry about creating value for yourself. This whole strategy is called tit for tat by Robert Axelrod, because basically it says, I'm going to start by collaborating and I'm just going to do whatever you did the last turn. And in the tournaments that he played, both live and on computer, this strategy won every single tournament and it lost every game. What does that mean? That means that I might have lost to you uh, 18 to 20, but that's uh, a whole lot better than winning 12 to 10. If you're thinking in terms of millions of dollars or millions of lives saved. You know, at the end of the day, fine, the other guy got a 20, but would you rather win, win, quote unquote, with 12, or would you rather lose, quote unquote, with 18? And that's that's both for making money and also, you know, charitable ideas like like saving lives or bringing people out of poverty. There so, is so much to unpack with that. And cool. what I absolutely love about that is the simplicity, but also the fun yeah. of taking a pretty, you know, in-depth, heady concept and making it really fun and accessible is really 
something that I think is so important in terms of teaching or motivating or being an emotionally intelligent person. I'm going to take a quick break. In a minute, we're going to have you come back and talk about a story that actually is a real story in action where you used frogs and bats. How's that sound? Great. Okay. We'll be back in a minute. You know that negotiating your fees and getting paid what you're worth is emotional business. And I know how to help you become a rock star negotiator. So I am offering an exclusive group experience, a masterclass on negotiating for a hand-selected group of businesswomen. So if you're highly motivated, career-driven, and ready to take a deep dive into your money story and learn how to shift sabotaging beliefs so you can earn more, then this masterclass is for you. I'm taking applications now and space is limited to eight kick-ass women. You're gonna get individual and group coaching, both facilitated by me, as well as video lessons, handouts, and a bunch of bonuses to help you become the rock star negotiator I know you are. So check it out at breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating hyphen masterclass and register today. I am back with Julian and we are talking about frogs and bats and mediation and negotiation in large groups. And we just learned a little bit about what a frog and a bat was and, and the rules of the game. And what I thought would be really great, Julian, is if you were to share a story, a real life story of a negotiation where you use this simple technique and really kind of made a difference. Yeah. So I was hired to facilitate the revision of a management plan for a marine protected area in northwest Mexico on the, uh, follow me here, on the eastern side of the Baja California Peninsula. So uh, if you ever looked at a map in Mexico, you notice that there's a Baja Peninsula that comes down from California and the, the Gulf of um, the Gulf of California or the Sea of Cortez is in between that peninsula and the mainland of Mexico. And toward the bottom on the, on the right side, on the east side, is a marine park called Loreto. And um, Loreto is an amazing, uh, beautiful marine protected area, all kinds of wildlife, blue whales, gray whales, manta rays, all any number of fish run through there. There's all kinds of nutrients and welling and calving, and it's just an amazing place. And in this place, um, there is an ecosystem, an economic ecosystem like everywhere else. And it's run on a mixture of commercial fishing, uh, small scale commercial fishing, because the, the, the industrial fishers are not allowed in the marine protected area. But the, the small scale commercial fishers are with certain restrictions, ecotourism, diving, photography, snorkeling. And also sport fishing. Sport fishing is when you and me, Kathleen, go out on a boat with a captain and we have this reel and we catch these giant, beautiful uh, you know, swordfish and, um, and sort Do of- Do we thing. hang them up on the wall when we're done? You usually eat them, but you could, you could get them stuffed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dorado and swordfish and, um, and uh, marlins, you know, kind of old man in the sea stuff. Big, beautiful fish. And, and then there's just the plain old conservationists who are trying to get uh, extractive activity limited or at least in balance with the ecosystem that is there. And so whenever you do a management plan with people, it always involves multiple interests and it involves shifting the rules of the park. So, and, and people get very nervous about that because it affects their livelihood. 
and and so we had been negotiating this for six months, a long time. We finally come up with a new map with new rules, and it was really great. Um, and a lot of people were very happy with it, and we had celebrated it. And we were in the maybe the second to last meeting that we were going to do with this thing, and um, and we were just sort of ratifying the changes that we had made. And then this this guy raised his hand. He was a he was a sport fisher, and he and he stood up and he said, "Friends." This has all been a very exciting experience for me. I want to say that we've never had this much good dialogue about this park before, and I'm really pleased with what you've done, and I can't live with this map. And if I take this wow. map back to my people, they're going to they're going to they're going to kill me. They're not they're not they're not going to they're not going to have it. Not literally, but you know, they were, they're going to be very upset with him is what he was saying. And I could feel the blood drain from my face <laughs> at the front of the room because we were this close to signing it, Kathleen. It was very close. Um, and then this conservationist raised her hand. She said, you know what? I feel the same way. We didn't get what we came here to get, and, and this isn't acceptable. And and I, could, I looked around the room to see what everybody was thinking, and half the room was looking at me and they were getting very anxious because they said, Hey, we just spent six months negotiating this. If you open this can of worms, we're up a Creek. We can't, we can't do this again. We don't have right. it in six months. You know, what, what, where have you guys been for the last six months? Why haven't you, why didn't you say anything? And they were both leaders who've been involved in this. And then the other half of the room was like, yeah, they're right. This isn't right. We got to go back. We got to do it again. And so I'm standing in the front of the room, you know, sort of hyperventilating quietly and wondering what I'm going to do. And I thought, okay, we have a pretty decent agreement. Most people like it. Some people don't. Um, we got a fallback plan. So, so, and, and what everybody's worried about is that this thing's going to spin out of control for the next six months. So let's put a time limit on it and let's make it really short. And so I got up there and I said, okay, everybody, we have a plan. It's not bad. It sounds like it's not perfect. We have some time. So let's take the next hour and a half to two hours to open up the discussion. I'm not going to, we're not going to facilitate it. I want everybody to just start throwing out ideas with one another, you know, gather around and, and just start throwing out ideas. And I had maps of the park all over with, um, they were sort of, what do you call it when there's plastic over it? You can sort of, you know, draw. Oh, right, right. Like with almost an eraser board kind of situation. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Imagine like, you know, 30 or 40 eraser board versions of the park that people could write on. And so everybody said, okay, everybody took a deep breath and they started negotiating. And what they ended up doing, Kathleen, was fascinating. And, and in the negotiation literature, it's called log rolling, which is when we trade across interests that we want. Everybody thinks that compromise is the way to get what you want in a negotiation. And sometimes that's true. But just as often, what's important is giving you everything you want so that you'll give me everything I want on a different issue. Right. So in this case, we had kind of split these economic zones. So the, the, the sport fishers had had given away a chunk of very valuable real estate, let's call it, in this island called Coronados. And the conservationists had taken a small slice of a, what they call a no take zone where, where no fishing activity has to happen in order to restore fishing. And the idea is that populations will well up and then and then seed the area so that more populations will come up. Well, then the sport fisher said, well, we, we can't give that up. We can't, that's, that's just too economically valuable for us. And the conservationist said, okay, fine. Yeah, I'm going to give you all that. Take, take my whole uh, no-take zone right there and give me uh, an area that was like 10 times the size of that down further south um, mm-hmm. because I need a larger area so that I can get different depths so that different pieces of the ecosystem will play their role in habitat conservation and, and restoration. And in order to do that, they had to take a piece away from the commercial fishers who said, well, wait a minute, what are we getting back? And so they started horse trading back and forth. And basically what they all ended up with 
was instead of sort of bits and pieces in different parts of the park, which is what they had negotiated initially as they were compromising through all these different zones, they ended up with large exclusive zones unto one another that were bigger and were going to be more productive economically for the fishers and, and ecologically for the conservationists. And that process is called log rolling. And I don't think we would have gotten there if we hadn't had uh, a lot of frogs and bats before and open discussions. You know, in times past, when we first started this, they didn't trust each other. And they would have just, uh, you know, slammed their fist down and said, this isn't acceptable. And they would have walked out of the room and they would have talked to each other again. But after six months of working through and compromising and showing each other these good faith frogs, you know, and, and sort of collaborating and coming to the table with new and fresh ideas, they sort of learned that they were they were okay with one another. And the conservationists weren't trying to put the fishers out of business. And the fishers weren't trying to fish out the sea. They were just trying to make a living. And so that experience leading up to that really allowed me to kind of reflect on all this negotiation theory. And they go, yeah, this log rolling thing is, is, is for real, you know, and I use that in my classes all the time. And, and frogs and bats was a, was a big part of getting there. And what I love about that is the fact that if you, if you train people to trust each other and do the frogs and bats and the open communication, that it's amazing that the human spirit can come together in just a couple of hours, granted you laid a huge foundation and come up with something that really is better and that works for everybody. And we often think that isn't possible. And what I love about the work that you're doing is you see that it is possible. There's work to be done to get you there, but it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of laying the groundwork. It takes a lot of baby steps. It takes a lot of deep breaths. Uh, It takes a lot of coffee breaks. (laughs) You know, it takes a lot of private meetings uh, and it takes a lot of encouragement and a little bit of theory and a lot of listening. And and you have to have faith in the people uh, who are doing this because they're ultimately the ones who have to live with it and they know best about their territory. So, you know, if I'd gotten grumpy, I could have said, no, 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 no. We've been in for six months, people. You had yeah, your I'm turn. Done. It's over. I'm out. Get another <laughs> facility. You know, like, and I was tempted. I, I'm yeah. not going to lie. I, I wanted to say that. Part of me wanted to say that. But then I thought, no, you know what? What, if I do that, what's going to happen? These people aren't going to respect those boundaries. They're going to violate the terms of their own agreement, and then they're not going to trust each other again, and we're going to be back in the same hole. So they did it, and uh, and credit to them for being willing to openly say what they what they couldn't couldn't live with, and then being willing to roll up their sleeves and get back down to it. Because I find a lot of times, Kathleen, people will um, voice their disagreement, and then and then the other party closes the embassy and walks out. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you can't close the embassy. Right. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Is yeah, what yeah, got. yeah, yeah. Second. Open the doors, come back. We got more to talk about. Um, well, and it, it highlights how it's a bumpy process, but also the fact that you knew enough to contain it, you know, in terms of the time frame and that you trusted in the process enough. And it strikes me as that's much better to take the additional two hours and actually have something that's workable than throw the six months, so to speak, away. Exactly. Uh, now, I'm thinking about the listeners who are listening in, yeah. who may be in the business world. Yeah. So how do we, or how, how can you help us understand, how can we apply this when we're working in the business world? And it could be that it's a negotiation one-on-one, or it could be that yeah. you are negotiating with a committee, which I see all the time in the work that I do um, yeah. in financial services. The, the, the absolutely key thing that these parties did once we were six months in and trust had been built was to really try to figure out what the other side needed. What do you want? Why is this not acceptable to you? What do you need? What would make it acceptable to you? Oh, okay. That's what you need? Okay, well, here's what I need. 
You know, and it, it just goes back to the basics, Kathleen. It, it is always the basics. People think that a good negotiator will just be louder and stronger than everybody else in the room and steamroll their way to what they want. Well, if you need the other person in order to get the result that you need, you're going to have to listen to them and you're going to have to figure out what they need. And you're going to have to make an effort to get them what they need and make every effort within your resources to get them what they need so that they would be willing to do the same with you. Not only that, but you have to be clear. You have to be honest about what you want. People think if I don't tell you what I want, then then you won't know uh, how, or I can trick you into giving me what I want. Well, how am I supposed to give you what you want if you don't tell me? Right. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't know? read somebody's mind. Yeah, it's like this game of, of I'm not going to tell you what I really want because then maybe you won't give it to me. Well, how am I supposed to give it to you without knowing what you want? You know, so. It's about sharing information, not not all the information. It's about sharing the right information, right? You don't want to tell people what your bottom line is. You don't want to tell people how much money you got in the bank. You don't want to tell people certain things. But you do want to tell people what you actually want as an outcome, and you want to help people prioritize the things that they want. As, as a third party, one thing that I'm always doing, Kathleen, and, and I think people should do uh, more often, is understand their priorities. People want a lot of things in a negotiation, but what do you want most? What are your top one or two or three things? And then everything else, be willing to be flexible on. Don't be flexible on the thing you most want. Um, you know, that's what I that's what I learned from these parties too, is that the, the sport fisher was like, look, I'm not going to have a business if I give you half of my Coronado Island, you know? So I need that. I'll give you something else because that's my top priority. Tell me what you want. And that's what they did. So, you know, listening, really figuring out what the other person wants, doing a lot of investigation, a lot of inquiry from a genuine place, not in, not in, not in a way that I'm going to trick you now that you've told me what you want, but in a way that I'm going to do my very best to get you what you need so that you will do the same for me. That's what I think. Well, and the curious questioning and the really trying to understand what the other person wants and needs also fosters trust. So it's, you're getting data, but you're also having, you're building a relationship that's authentic and as, you know, as transparent as maybe you want to be in a negotiation. But what I really like, and I think something that we haven't hit upon in this series is the idea of prioritizing. So if Mm -hmm. someone's out there and thinking, I want to go negotiate my salary, or, you know, I'm looking to negotiate with a new consulting contract to really think about what are your top two, three, and then what are what's the other stuff that's a little yeah. bit more negotiable? I, I think that's a great uh, takeaway. Uh, so there's so much more we could talk about, but we have run out of time quickly, Julian. Uh, so I want you to tell us a little bit more about Champlain College and the center, uh, because even though I work there as an adjunct professor, I, I kind of stumbled over you. So I'm thrilled. I'm going to uh, be part of your life, like it or not, now that I know the center's <laughs> out there. Uh, but I want everybody else to know about it because there's some really cool training that you can get no matter where you live. Julian, where can people find out more about you in the center? You can go to champlain.edu slash center for mediation and dialogue. If you Google Champlain College and mediation and dialogue, it will also come up. And there's a lot of great training there. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a mediator, we have a basic training, intermediate and advanced. Um, we're going to have a facilitation training. And I hope, Kathleen, that um, we can collaborate on a negotiation training soon. And um, and there'll be also, there's also going to be some stuff for um, multi-stakeholder dialogue stuff, consensus building for municipalities and anybody interested in creating change in complex systems. Awesome. Well, I will follow up with you. I'd definitely be interested in collaborating and we will put all those links in the show notes. So it makes it really easy for people to check out the center and to check out Julian's work. Thank you so much for breaking money silence with me today. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Plan Well, Be Well. 
Plan Well, Be Well is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.